0: Good evening and welcome to the Laugh and Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. How are you doing tonight?
1: Oh, about the same as I was uh, yesterday at this time, or indeed the day before, <laughs> but continuity at my age is everything. I'm it just is. happy to wake up in the morning.
0: Well, I want to thank you for taking some time today. I know you've been doing interviews for God, what, 52 years now, and I'm sure you've heard it all. So hopefully we can make this enjoyable and brief enough to share the word of your new album, which is fantastic. Um, It's out on the 28th of this month. I just want to say before we ask you any questions is I received it a little while ago, the whole album. I've been listening to it. It was like an early Christmas gift to me. The record label has been releasing singles. Have you, you really have had much of a choice, have you, as far as the singles they've done?
1: Although the thing is that that's their job. They're they're there to do marketing and promotion. And that's what I, I think uh, those, I call them teasers. They're singles. Seems to suggest to me it's something on a small piece of plastic that is released as a, as a you know as a double-sided record. Right, it right used it's... to be back in the sixties and seventies. But you know, it, essentially, it's just a little, a little teaser. It's a little, um, a little idea of what people are going to be getting, and you know, for literally downloading or streaming only. So um, that's the record company's job is to is to find ways to bring that to public attention. So the, the songs that they chose to do, at least originally we had discussions, um, were were not my choices. But, you know, I, they presented an argument for choosing those songs, and I thought, well, okay, well, you guys have been doing this for a while. You're supposed to be good at it, so uh, we'll go along with what you think. Same thing with sure. the video directors that were appointed. They, they certainly have not produced videos that echo my own um, visual references for writing those songs, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's perfectly valid because it's somebody else listening to the music and the lyrics and coming up with their own visual um, interpretation. And so I have to respect that. That's absolutely fine. And if I don't have any real any real beef with the, the video content, then I'm probably going to say, yeah, well, okay, that's fine. Yeah, we'll do that. And because um, <laughs> I'm an easy guy to work with, but uh, th- this is the commercial side of getting a record out there to the public. It's a, it's the, uh, you know, the um, slightly unseemly commercial application of, um, of uh, skills and efforts that I prefer not to be involved with this. If I can, I'm bad enough having I mean, to do all this press and promo, but the um the reality is that I handed over the masters to the record and the artwork back in June of last year, and you know that was that was job done, and now i'm uh two weeks my two weeks yes I'm two weeks into the writing of their next album, so my my mind is really creatively focused elsewhere at the moment and um in a few days' time, I have to start work rehearsing the live show again because it's uh, two months since Jethro Tull did a gig. Um, and, um, you know, I have to get back into physical and mental shape as do the rest of the band. We've got to um, spend a little daily time um, rehearsing, practising that material again to uh, walk on stage and play it. Together. well you
0: have a fantastic band i mean and even the, the new uh, guy joe on guitar i mean florian was ridiculously awesome so i'm looking forward to hearing joe play i mean as far as uh, musicians and playing
1: he's a young guy much like florian was when florian first joined the band um, 16 years ago whatever it was um, i mean not 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 Jethro Tull, but he was doing a lot of solo shows with me with orchestras, and he stood in for Martin right. Barr a few times, Martin was not available to do some Jethro Tull concerts. But, yeah, Florian's worked with me on many records and many, many, many tours. So um, when he decided to hang up his touring hat, uh, although <laughs> he did come back to join us in uh, September for one, two, three, four... Five shows because uh, young Joe, being young, had not been fully vaccinated and was not. <laughs> oh. um, he, he would he wouldn't have he wouldn't have got entry to those countries w- without having to spend you know ten days in quarantine or something. So Florian uh, happily came out and um, and uh, rejoined the band again for a few shows, which, which was delightful for him, delightful for us, and and uh, but then Joe's vaccinations kicked in and he's been able to do uh, the concerts from. Basically September, mid September onwards, and uh, I should be seeing him in a couple of weeks Excellent. at um, London Heathrow Airport to get on a flight. He, well,
0: um, Florian, did Florian played on a lot of this new album, though, right? Did he play on? Yeah, he played um, on, on the Tibbetts original seven tracks. And Baron Beth, is he is that his guitar solo on those two, or his guitar work? Is what, sir? Um, is that his guitar? So it's Florian's guitar work on Miss Tidbits. And Baron Beth, those two. That's stars. right. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, Florian so not good. only played played the guitar, but all the solos were played live in the studio um, as part of the arrangement. Because as much as possible, these uh, first seven songs were recorded, you know, very much like we would perform them live on stage. So, you know, Florian actually played those solos. Boom! That was it. You know, no editing, no repair so work. It was that they they were they were like a live performance, which I think is you know, captures the um, the spirit of recording at its best when you are in a studio together playing in real time with real people and real musical mm-hmm. instruments. So it's an enjoyable way of working. Unfortunately, the last five songs, I had to do it the other way, which was to sit at home and record them piecemeal myself because of the COVID lockdowns. And uh, right. when I finally finished off the album, it was a bit of a stitched together job where three of the guys... Uh, sent in some parts to um, to uh, be accommodated into the final mixes, but, um, you know, things that they recorded at home. But, um, you know, maybe that was a good thing because it gave the album a little different uh, dynamics, different shape, different instrumentation. So it maybe made it more of a, a rounded album than simply having everybody playing on every track, which might have not been perhaps as uh, ultimately as, as satisfying. Are you always working on music? I mean, cause, I mean, you're
0: always releasing as a fan. I know like, your collections and stuff, and you've had um, Steve Wilson like, remix some stuff for you and stuff. But as you say, you're starting a new album now. Prior to this, do you kind of have a guitar laying around or your flute or lyrics? Or you, are you kind of always noodling ideas to the side? Or do you just kind of take a break from it?
1: Well, I, I I don't don't usually spend time. I spend a lot of time actually just generally practicing and rehearsing. I you know, try and play the flute every day, for example, because it's maintaining your embouchure, the muscles, the, the, the muscle memory that goes with it all. Um, you know, I mean, I have a guitar sitting, you know, just over there, and I have a flute sitting over there, and I'm in the office. You know, I'm not even in the <laughs> studio, so I, I always have couple of instruments around but it's 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 not so much that i'm always writing music when i write music i'd rather make it more of a deliberate act so i told everybody i was going to start a new album at 9 a.m on the 1st of january 2022 just as i did back in 1st of january of 2017 and the 1st of january in 2014 and the 1st of january in 2012 so i've made a habit of putting myself on the spot and <laughs> doing what I, it is I've told everybody I'm going to do. Otherwise I'd look a bit silly. And in fact, I did look a bit silly this year because I said nine o'clock on first of January. And unfortunately, um, due to, um, emails and whatever, it was nine thirty when I started. So I was half an uh, hour late. My God.
0: I know I'm going to forgive you.
1: Yeah. You are
0: very deliberate and very respectful. I've always loved that about you. Would you say you're no frills? You're not, um, you know, you're not messing around. You get right to the point. I
1: appreciate that about you. Well, I, I think the thing to me about about you know making the commitment to, to 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 begin a project. I mean, you have no idea whether it's going to be whether it's going to work. You know, you, know, you might start work at nine o'clock and lunchtime comes around and you've got nothing. Um, right. And I think that pressure is is a great thing because it's really quite exciting when you get maybe one or two ideas and then you revisit them again later in the day and. And perhaps um, they survive, uh, or perhaps they they get put, pushed aside, and you do something the next day. But it's quite exciting, you know. It's um, it's exhilarating to find that you are able to summon some kind of a creative result uh, just by putting yourself on the spot and 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 approaching it with a pretty empty mind, which is, I think, rather good. And I I, I try and do that in 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 the process of writing arranging and then even in recording you know there'll be some lots of things that will appear in the rehearsal room as refinements and additions you know which just occur to me on this spontaneously at the time of beginning to work on on things with the band and we'll introduce a new bit of music and I'll you know I'll, I'll excuse myself for half an hour and you know then come back with with another section that I've just thought of and you know I find that very exhilarating and it's um it's nice to it's nice to have have all the the prep all the preparation done but you leave a little wiggle room to come up with some new stuff and um maybe change some things or add some things and and the band are part of that process because you know it's important that they understand the general structure of the song but that they come in and put their own refinements into place so it it personalizes it from their perspective and i i would imagine makes it much more enjoyable than than reading the dots that some somebody has presented to you and said, play this, don't change anything. Play it exactly like this, which of course is what a musicians in a classical orchestra have got to do. You've got to play it like it was written by Beethoven, Mozart, Handel, Bach, whoever it might be, no no deviation. You know, even, even a soloist in a flute concerto will be permitted to give it some expression. But... He or she will have to play the notes that were written. Um, that's what conductors are there to to ensure. So uh, even. You know, even a, a, an enlightened liberal conductor is probably still going to say, listen, I'm afraid you really do have to play that Be Natural <laughs> there. It's, it's written in the music score. You're still um, the engine. And if you're, and if you're von Karajan, you're probably going to insist on really controlling the whole thing in a much more detailed way, tempo-wise, expression-wise. And James Galway, who was a, the first principal flautist of the Berlin Philharmonic under uh, von carahan in in James's earlier years, you know, found it very difficult to to have to always work under that uh, very authoritative um, heavy hand of von Carahan When James sort of felt maybe he could express things in a slightly different way, um, eventually he decided he would have to leave and and uh, undertake a career as, as a soloist and performing with many different orchestras, but um, that's that 's what i can 't understand. you see, I can just not imagine what it would be like to have to spend my life learning such great works, but only ever experiencing performance as a kind of a replication of something that was written two hundred years before it doesn 't
0: forever it doesn 't
1: appeal to me at all uh, it wouldn 't appeal oh. to the guys in Jethro Tull if I said you 've got to play exactly what your predecessor played yeah. on an album forty years ago you know you 've got to play exactly those notes. Um, that 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 wouldn't be great for them. So they understand. You kind of get the gist of it. You get the key elements that you will you yeah. will play in the same way. But you bring a few little twists and turns in terms of of, um, of decoration of um, of uh, you know a little uh, extemporization. That that's uh, that's what makes it come alive for them. So I I, I, I think that that's why the guys work well. They understand the subtle differences between playing what their predecessor did or predecessors, because there've been a lot of them, um, and at the same time, being able to, you know, put your own little nuances and add a few notes, take a few out, change a few if necessary. But you know, it's it's a fine-tuned balance that you arrive at, and and, and they're they're good at doing that.
0: What's great about your music, and I've been able to go back for, for years now, is I'm always finding new things in your music because you have a lot of stuff and it. it's a very fulfilling your songs because you, you play, you get the melody with your strumming, with your voice, and then your, your, your flute is another voice. So it's like even when you're not singing, which is also going to be a challenge for you to be singing and playing flute, you know that's a muscle you got to keep up. With. It's got to be such a challenge. But when you're writing, I can't imagine how you're adding all these different layers as you're, as you're writing your song. I mean, you have three different pieces you're bringing in. Before even go to the band to add their parts.
1: Yeah, it. Um, but a lot of the things that I I do is my contribution. You know, they're not maybe completely refined at the point when we begin recording. Because I the zealot gene, for example, the the the, the seven full band tracks. I was standing in a corridor outside the <laughs> studio with a microphone, and I was singing and playing my yeah. parts as a guide so they would know where they were in the song okay. but you know they'll I was also sure. shouting out yeah. second chorus coming up two three four and <laughs> uh, you know just as a cues for them but you know when you when you're a, an acoustic musician or a singer you know for technical audio separation reasons it's it's not very likely you're going to get a satisfying master there's always going to be some you know drum leak coming through the walls and bass particularly will infiltrate things and you know um it's quite often not only preferable but absolutely necessary to to record your acoustic stuff in isolation so there's no no leak i mean Stephen. Stephen Wilson, right. poor Stephen Wilson, has spent hours and hours and hours. I mean, to clean up Jethro Tull album masters <laughs> from times gone How did by he get because involved all, in all
0: the mixing clicks and
1: hums and noises that he needs to get rid of in order to get some right. transparency into the multi-track uh, mixes. Uh, yeah, so he came because uh, the record company EMI at the time wanted to, I think, do a uh, a commemorative uh, remix of Aqualung. and uh, and they asked me. Did I know anybody who could, I would recommend to to do a remix? Because mm-hmm. I made it clear I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and, um, and I looked around and saw that Stephen Wilson had remixed um, the classic album by King Crimson, mm-hmm. um, which um, knowing or believing that Robert Fripp was a pretty tough cookie who was a, mm-hmm. you know, fairly, a, fairly, a, fairly much of a taskmaster in wanting things done a certain way. So I heard, so I thought, well, if he, if he would let, if he would let Stephen Wilson remix, um, you know, in the court of the King, the uh, Crimson King, right. you know, the, he, he, it must be something, um, something um, positive and, and, um, and displaying a certain level of expertise and understanding that, that would, Have uh, informed that choice so I got in touch with Stephen Wilson we sent him a couple of tracks to see how he got on with it he sent me the mixes and I said yeah that sounds great if you'd like to do that we'll um, fire away and um, Stephen will you know usually run things by me every so often when he's working on the mix and we see how it's going and we communicate by email and um, and then maybe when he gets to do the 5.1 surround mixes I go to his studio and listen to the end result and um they uh you know my input is always there but it's not uh I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to be breathing down his neck while he's actually working you know it's you can make a few suggestions and little offer a few little comments but you know by and large I think you've got to let someone get on with it and do it um to their best ability right. in the way they feel is appropriate and Stephen is a you know, he listens to the original mixes. He he uh, analyzes the way the, the balances work of the different instruments and where, where they are in the stereo spectrum, you know, positioned and sets out to, not to recreate it, but to build upon those, you know, quite tenuous relationships. And uh, so he might give a little more prominence to a guitar solo than was perhaps on the original mix, or he might, you know, back off the vocals a little bit in the chorus or something but you know he's uh, he's thinking it through all the time and never deviating so far from the spirit of the original mixes that I did however long ago so I think we have a good working relationship but having said that his time is uh, is probably up because he's uh, recently finished off all the uh, the the many, 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 many tracks of studio work and live performances of The Broadsword and the Beast, the album of 1982, nice. and that's due for release in July this year. And I, I think Stephen always said, well, I'll, I'll do the stuff from the 70s and then that's me done. But he did happily go on to do uh, the album from uh, 1980 and then 19 uh, the material that we recorded in 81 and 82. Uh, but I, I I'm not expecting him to go beyond that simply because, you know, he's got his own life to live and he, too, right. is wanting to get back on the road and get out there and perform and not be uh, caught up. Will in you guys
0: continue on too that, much?
1: Though? We will. What, sorry? Like,
0: will you continue on with the mixes to do more to finish up the mixes or is it, it might stop here?
1: Well, that, that, I'm sure that Stephen has probably had enough by now. And we, no, I'm saying will you have somebody else it. continue on. Oh, I see what you mean. Well, that depends on the record company because uh, Warner Music have to make their decisions about the, you know, about the commercial viability of, of yeah. going into all that time and trouble and releasing albums that, um, um, you know, in some cases there is no extra material, there's no bonus material, really? and no supplementary recordings or demos or anything. There's just not, nothing. Particularly when we got into the digital age, because um, okay. usually I just recorded. I think really from Crest of an Ave onwards, you know, there's um, there's not a busting amount of material other than that stuff that literally made up the album, because that's all I recorded. And uh, the albums were digitally mastered, and that's it. So th- there are no demos. There are no alternative versions um, of stuff, as far as I'm aware, for most of the albums. I mean, the Broad Sword and the Beast, there was a huge amount of extra work was done, and... Um, during a period of time of, you know, writing a lot of music and then deciding on the final shape of the album. But, um, you know, once we move beyond that, I don't think there's, um, you know, there's a busting amount of additional material. And, and that's kind of, in a way, what what makes uh, these things interesting for the fans, is they're getting to hear the original album, they're getting to hear the original album remix, they're getting to hear the original album in in the surround sound they 're getting to hear a whole bunch of songs and demos and variations that make for a package that is a you know a much bigger listening experience but if you 're unable to offer that to them simply because you only ever recorded what you recorded and that 's what was on the record okay. then there 's nothing more to offer so i 'm not sure i will discuss it with the record company once once we 've got the broadsword album um, out of the way i 'm sure these these conversations will continue. And we'll see what happens, and if so, with whom. If it's not Stephen Wilson,
0: I respect that. I know we're almost out of time, so I just want to tell people yep. that listening, go to the website. Any question he's been asked, he's been asked ever, is answered. He has tons of information. All those questions are answered. Go to the go to the Just for website. Everything is there. Well, actually
1: <laughs> actually it's a good good point because on the uh, the the all too frequently asked questions. Um, which was there really for the press to, to save them time, you know, when uh, you're doing an interview and they ask the same questions over and over again, they might as well copy and paste what it says on the website and get onto some other questions that are, are not there. Then uh, it's, it's really to help the press. It's not to be critical in any way. But, no, 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 but it's... with the new album, I, I have actually just prepared another FAQ for the Zealot Gene, which I will add yeah. to the FAQ in the uh, on the website. So there'll be even more for people to
0: copy and paste if they want to oh, write right. about
1: it then we try and make life easy it's an informational website you know i'm not there to great. enter into dialogue and chat rooms i'm there to offer information to people um and it, whether they're fans or or the media it's um it's all about giving people yeah. information on on and, and in, in varying degrees of depth and some of it obviously historical because the website's been running since 1998 and there's a lot of. Elements of it that um I wrote way, 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 way back then, and they're still embedded in the website today. If you want to read about Ian Anderson's flutes or Indian I think food those are great. or whatever it might be, I love you know, those. Just, yeah, I love well, the music part. I was That's so good.
0: geeking out about the recording of it. It was the best. You know, those are the best parts of it. You know, things people always ask you.
1: Yeah, you know? well, we try not to make it overly elaborate. I mean, every so often there's a we prune some of the things that are redundant or, you know. I uh, just don't need to be there anymore and replace it with up-to-date stuff. But um, right. by and large, the most crucial thing, of course, is uh, giving people information about new product or like, right. played on somebody else's record or, and of course the tour dates ever changing as they are yeah. in these COVID years. And they're but, all um, there. We try and give people the information. Anyway, good to talk okay. to you and uh, take Thank care you. and stay safe.
0: Take care. You take care. go out buy the album, everybody. It's 28th. It's awesome.